This is Chris Lincoln. You are listening to the Hall of Mirrors podcast. Happy hunting. Happy haunting. Chris Lincoln, Northwest Indiana ghost hunter. Welcome. Is that, uh, is that the correct title? What, what, what would you call yourself? Paranormal investigator. All right. Hi, audience. Glad so, to be here. It's nice to finally meet you guys in person. We're glad to, to have you in studio. We, we really are. We're, yeah. we, we're the fortunate ones that, to have your expertise with us. We're yeah. sick and tired of Zoom. <laughs> yes, it's difficult. It is. I mean, it's nice to be able to have all sorts of people join us, but it's, it's so much better in person. I have yet to Zoom. I'm still a Skype person, and no one Skypes anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. it's being phased out, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's been overtaken. All right, so so let let's jump into it. All right, uh, so you're from the uh, Indiana branch of the Ghost Hunters. No, I'm actually a independent uh, paranormal investigator. Okay. And um, I work with my buddy, who's Mike McDowell, okay. who owns uh, Chaos Tours. That's ChaosTrips.com, and uh, he also runs the Indiana Ghost Trackers. That's that's his paranormal group for years. I used to have my own team back in the 90s, and we kind of disbanded. So I'm kind of like known through other investigators in the area. So like if Mike has a case or one of them, they call me in for help. You know, I assist a lot of other investigators. Okay, so how, how long have you been doing this for? I have been hunting ghosts actively since 1988 when I was a teenager. Wow. Yep, over 30 years. So you've seen some things. Yes, and it seems like as our technology gets better, I see and hear better things than I did back in the day. Really? So tell yes, me. Yes. Well, okay, to begin with, like when I first got into ghosts back in the 80s, okay, when I was a little kid, there were no uh, paranormal reality shows like there are nowadays. You know, there's a million shows on TV. Everyone knows, you know, Ghost Taps, uh, Ghost Adventures, sure. you know. Back then, we didn't have that. Uh, back then... Uh, in fact, you, you were a special member, um, and you too, Randy. Mm -hmm. uh, you remember in Search of, mm -hmm. right? Uh, narrated by Leonard Nimoy from right. Star Trek fame. I, I was more an unsolved mysteries guy. Uh, they, they, they touched on that. Yes, when they had the occasional ghost episode yep. on Unsolved Mysteries, man, the VCR was recording that night in my house. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Kids are like, "What's a VCR?" Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I had my first paranormal experience when I was a child. Uh, I started seeing shadow people within my house. And I also had an aunt who was a witch. She was a Wiccan. And she was into this type of stuff, which I never knew about. And she used to tell me stories. And she used to tell me some of the stuff that she did. And she did strictly white magic. Okay. So that just started my interest. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to know more. And then growing up between the North Maryville Gary area, um, I basically started learning about all the legends of the area. Sure. For our area, especially, like, you know, we have Rita Road, the Ghost of Klein Avenue, and then you heard about other places not too far away, like Crown Point, Gypsy Cemetery, the old jail in Crown Point, you know. So I always heard about these places. But when I was young, we used to go actively investigate um, graveyards. That okay. Calumet Park Cemetery in Maryville was, we were in there all the time until they started putting security in there, especially around the month of October, you know. Uh, but we used to go out and investigate at Rear Road as well. And back then, 
we in the 80s we had real basic we had a polaroid camera and you guys remember polaroid it was 10 bucks for 10 shots yeah right i must have spent my entire college tuition on polaroid shots just to get a few here and there most of them and you're just kind of pointing and clicking at point that and point, click, point and, and click, and then hope you see, have an orb that manifests. Yes, yes. And uh, look at Mike getting an orb. Wow. See, wow. I, 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 I research things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I start also um, hearing about authors such as Hans Holzer. He's like basically America's first modern day ghost hunter. Okay. But then I start researching even farther because back then. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have YouTube. You had a library. Yeah. So you would go and check out every book possible that you could find on the subject of ghosts, right? right. And then I learned there was people before Hans Holzer, like Harry Price. He was a British researcher. Um, basically, back in the 1800s, spiritualism really took off in America and England, right? Mediumship. And... Uh, one of the first people to start calling BS to that was this British guy named Harry Price. In fact, he uh, joined the first, uh, it was called a Society of Psychical Research in London, one of the oldest paranormal societies in the world. He, he was one of the first ones to join it. And then also in the late 1800s, you, know, you had Harry Houdini, who was also into spiritualism and calling out BS on the fakes. So Harry Houdini and Harry Price were basically, you know, not saying that this stuff doesn't exist. They totally believed in the paranormal, but they also wanted to weed out all the shysters out there that were trying to rob people of money. And you might see it like in some old books where you'll have like a seance around a table, like uh, they would depict a medium uh, communicating with spirits, but at the same time under the table, you see her toe pulling strings, you know, and sure. making sounds, foot pedals, and, stuff right. foot yeah. pedals and making effects happen in the room to make all the people who were paying money to believe that. And these two guys were the first ones to really call that out. Interesting you said UK because next week they found us, but a group from the UK, we're going to have a Zoom podcast. Oh, how cool. And they're called I Conjure TV. Okay. So they're, they're pretty big right now. Nice. You might have to. Nice. Uh, and of course, London is the OG of ghosts. Right. Yeah. That's the epicenter, right? That is the epicenter. Yeah. You they're know, they're like in graveyards all the time, by the, especially World War II. Go under the streets. Yeah. Right. You know, we're in America here. We're we're basically you know over two hundred some years old. They go back over a thousand years. You know, right. they've got you know buildings and bars and <laughs> hotels that are you know hundreds of years old where right. they've just had multiple generations of spiritual activity. In fact, um, one of the Harry Price I was mentioning about, uh, he was one of the first ones to start investigating the Borley Rectory. If you guys used to see that on TV a lot, you ever heard about the Borley Rectory mm -hmm. in London? One no. of the first documented paranormal cases where they actually got photographs of spiritual activity. Okay, there. I don't know that one. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So okay. jump ahead a little bit. So like I said, we're back in the 80s and I'm reading all these books about these these, these guys before us. Then the movie Ghostbusters comes out in 1983 or 84, I think it was. 84, yep. And it just blew everyone away. I mean, everyone who was interested in paranormal for, re re for real really brought 
light to, you know, ghost hunting and start making America think about it a little bit more, you know, because it was kind of like on a smaller level prior to the movie, even though it was fiction, you know, it brought ghost hunting into the light, even, you know, on a Hollywood scale, you know. Um, and then at the same time in the 80s, there was a full-time ghost hunter slash tour guide operator out of Chicago. In fact, you, you remember him, Mike. Uh, you remember Richard Crow? Yes. Hey, Richard Crow was a... Chicago ghost tours, right? That's right. Um, yeah. yeah uh, he ran year-round ghost tours, and he basically all the famous haunted places in Chicago right now, he was the first one to put them all together and investigate mm -hmm. them, you know? And he had that on his tour route for years. Um, but he was, uh, he started out in 1973. He was a DePaul English uh, major. And his college professor asked him to put together, because they, um, they knew that he was into like weird stuff and the history of Chicago. Put, his professor asked him to put together a one-time ghost tour of Chicago, of all these famous places, for the Ge Geographical Society of DePaul. And it was so popular that they actually ended up selling, selling out, and he had to schedule three more tours. And within a couple months, an idea popped in his head. He's like, oh, my God, this could be a full-time business year-round. And he was the first ghost tour operator of Chicago, one of the first in the country, for that fact, to start doing ghost tours. Right, because, because until, honestly, until Ghostbusters came out, that was a taboo subject you didn't talk about. Very taboo. And once again, uh, you know, the, the, the previous podcast uh, that we had with, with our, our exorcists, our local exorcists, it, that, that wasn't common. You didn't talk about it. it uh, you know, your parents would slap you if, you know, oh, hey, I saw a shadow figure. You didn't talk about it to your, with your parents. This brought it to light. And, and like you said, almost to the, the forefront where it wasn't, it wasn't something that was kind of the eyebrow wasn't raised if you talked about it. Exactly. If you brought up that you're seeing ghosts, first thing people would say you're crazy or you're having an episode right. of some type. And they still know. had asylums open back then. Yes, and they, they were very open back then, mm -hmm. as you know, you know. Don't let me forget about Shadow People and Wiccans. Okay. We, have, we have to hit those. Shadow People and Wiccans. Yeah. Shadow People and Wiccans. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay, so I went on my first ghost tour with Richard Crow, and that just blew me away because here we're going to these haunted locations where you get off the bus, take pictures, you know. And like I said, that just started the fire until we started – so by the late 80s, I was doing that on my own. Speaking of fire, did you go Chicago fire, like remnants of like what could be haunted from the great Chicago oh, fire? Oh, the great Chicago yeah. fire? Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't. Um, I know there's a story with the, uh, the, the cow that tipped over the lantern yeah. and started the whole Chicago fire. but um, Which has been debunked, by the way. Yeah, has it really? Yeah, that's well, I just asked because I actually just saw a photo or a rendering of what it looked like, and everything was like leveled. Sure, unbelievable. Oh yeah, it, it decimated. There's actually a tour in Chicago now that has one of the only remaining houses that survived Chicago fire. So that's got to be still there. That's got to be close to Michigan Avenue, right? Yes, because yep. the water tower is the only thing that stood. Mm -hmm. Or the Wrigley building? Yeah, and a couple, yeah, the Wrigley building, a yeah. couple uh, residential homes. But, uh, so, back to it. So, you, you, you went, you got <coughs> out of the bus uh, for the first time. You're starting to take all these photos. Not, not, now you're hooked. Now you're enamored with this. Yeah, because some of the locations that he would have, you'd actually go down, like, in the basement, like, of the, the Red Lions uh, pub. 
where um, it, it was a, it's a known Scottish pu uh, haunted pub for, for decades in Chicago. And, you know, take all these pictures and stuff, and you hear all the story. They, he'd take you by the Biograph Theater where Dylan's got shot in the alley right next door, y'all, in 1934. You know, so... It, it, all the stuff you've only read about, now you're getting to see it up close and personal. Capone or Dillinger? Was Dillinger. Dillinger. And Capone died in syphilis. He did die in syphilis. Yes. <laughs> All yes. Right. All right. See, that, that's why we work well together, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Uh, I talk about STD deaths, and he's got to stay But speaking of reason. Capone, man, I went to Alcatraz. Have you ever been there? No, I've not been Holy to Alcatraz. Holy shit. I've seen the pictures of his cell on there. Tell me what you saw there, Randy. Well, we went during the day early morning afternoon but okay. i mean it's actually freaking huge one i mean the island's small but the prison is huge it's wow. almost the entire island and you walk in man and you can just feel like it just oh, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it it's eerie you feel like you're being watched that type of thing yeah i guess you could say that Okay. Yeah, and I did the uh, audio tour. So you put the headphones on. And I don't think I Bluetoothed around through the building or whatever. And this was like 2009. Mm. I went. Uh, but yeah, walking into the cells and they didn't have like electric lighting. Like when the sun went down, mm -hmm. it was just pitch black in there. So you, you just wonder like what these animals in there are doing. Mm, and yeah. oh yeah. man, and they, le they left the cell the way it was for the people that broke out. Right. So they, they knocked a hole out the back of the cell. Went down through the walkway, jumped into the water. You know, they never found those guys. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. They left the cell just the way it is. Yes. You and see all that stuff. speculation whether they died and got carried out to sea or whether they made it to land. And, and lived happily ever after. Lived right? happily ever after, yes. Which I would imagine, honestly, they say, you know, that, well, the water is frigid. It's cold, but there's, they got 50-50 chance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, great whites, maybe. You know, but never underestimate the determination of a man that wants to be free. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's an, I could see them now. It doesn't look far, but when you're on the boat hitting wave after wave after wave, like, holy shit, you know, they had to be with the current, you know, but it's absolutely possible. And that current is strong in the bay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, not to get too far off topic. I walked on the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. I've never had a problem with heights in my life and I about passed out. You get on the bridge and the fence is like 10 foot tall for the first 50 feet. After that, it stops, it's waist high, and there's suicide signs. If you know, you're having a crisis, call this number. But if you're look like the rest of the bridge, if you're up there and someone wanted to push you, there's nothing holding you back. It's very easy to get over the side. So oh, people are, they're, they're saying like 60 people jump a year. Wow. You know, uh, and someone had just jumped like two days before we got there. I heard at one point they actually had a suicide watch like daily. Oh, yeah. Looking for people that are even like Showing lingering. Stress. Yeah, Showing there's there's um, like guard shacks, if I'm if I remember correctly. OK. But anyways, just to let you know, I've never had like heights, never had issues. And once I got past that 10 foot of or that 10 foot high fence and yeah. just waste, I the blood just went. Whoop. I got all weak. And my wife's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm not, I can't walk any farther. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it was what I was feeling, if it was, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I had to go back. I, it felt so eerie being up there, just the combination, but Alcatraz is right there, man. And you could see it's. So it's funny because I'm obviously we, we, we've delved into your past, you know, in, in your previous feelings and, and, and uh, sightings of paranormal that could have been 
uh, a sixth sense per se Uh-oh. of uh, you know an actual feeling. Yeah. Right. So if we're segueing that back, when did you what did you have you ever gotten a feeling? And I'm not talking about the photographs. We'll get into that soon. Uh, but have you ever got that feeling that wow, there's something greater than what we're living right now, and I'm I'm around it. Yeah. Um. I get the feeling of actually deja vu a lot. Like I've done this before. I've been here before. How many times have we talked about that? And as I get older, it's becoming more frequent for some reason. That's my life, man. I believe in, I do believe reincarnation is possible. I don't believe it's for everybody because being raised Catholic myself, you know, I, I, and Mike, you were raised Catholic as well. Uh, You know, we we believe uh, in a heaven and a hell. And of course the Catholics third place, is purgatory, you know, but I believe some some beings, some animals, some people for some reason do live or have been through past lives, you know. And I, I sometimes I feel like I do I've been somewhere before, I've done this before, or I've dreamt about it before, you know. Same, I, I same. Do that. Yeah, I'm right with you, man. I, yeah. So many, so many times I've had deja vu where I can tell you, like I'm in there and I'm like, this is gonna happen. I've done this. Whether, you know, and I'll wake up from a dream, holy shit. Mm. Or here I am with my kid or my wife and, oh my God, I've done this before. Yeah. Just all the time. See, I've, you, I've never experienced Asia. Really? really? I've never experienced it, it's, it. Uh, now you got me tripping about the Sixth Sense things. I never, well, I never thought about well, that. Well, you know, and, and the reason I asked that question is because as you were talking about going on the tours, it, it brought me back to the, the one time I actually felt like there was something else. And that's, I was in Israel. And I'm in the, the old city, and we're at the the stone where they clean Christ's body. Okay. And you're allowed to touch and pray on the stone. I swear, as soon as I touched the stone, just something changed. Like an overflow of emotions came through me. Just And it, it at some point, it's like, wow, th- this is bigger than, than self. There is something here. There's something... And, holy and powerful about that spot correct as i had many my other spots right i had my rosary and i was able to put my rosary in the hole where christ's cross was wow and i put my rosary set up her i swear it felt like electric tingling through my arm doing that wow, it was the wildest feeling ever wow and I, this is actually the first time i'm telling anybody this and that rosary sits on my bed. I'm not just the lie. one you had the other night. I had it on my neck the other night after. <laughs> <Tell her. laughs> no, no, we got to talk about that. Right. I, I get a text uh, message from Mike. He's like, "Man, I'm not gonna lie. Man. I, I got my rosary." <laughs> I gotta say, I laughed so hard. Uh, so I did watch that interview with Father Maginot, and uh, when he refused to say the demons' names, you're like, "Good, yeah, we're, yeah, good. we're good, yeah, no. we're good, we're no. cool, yeah, yeah, yeah." Because yeah. even the, just saying the name of that, it, it just something like creeps up in your mind it's like it almost brings negativity you almost feel it saying its name what about um what about sleep paralysis and i wanted to ask him about this and i totally forgot Mm -hmm. but that's another thing i i've experienced my entire life that's a scary feeling i had it happen one time in my life it was in the early 2000s was it after something you did it was after something I did. All right, go into that story. Okay. Oh, um, man, I got you know freaked out because it happens to me all the we, time. We had just gotten to a cemetery hunt, okay? Because what ghost hunters, what we do is basically we would handle like private cases. People call us up and say, hey, my house is haunted, my business, whatever, come investigate. 
Although things slow down, I'm going on, we just go on hunt. So there's a difference between hunt and investigating, right? So we just go hunt, ghost hunting, we go to a random location, you know, like cemetery, an old building, and we just randomly take evidence uh, samples looking for something. We were ghost hunting this night in the cemetery, and um, we heard a voice uh, audibly, and I, we got it on our tape recorder as well. And it was one of the earliest cases of a class A EVP, that's an electronic voice phenomena, that I ever got from my collection. So when you hear a ghostly voice for the first time, when you're alone in a cemetery or with one other person, and not only do you hear a voice coming out of thin air, but you also recorded that, and then you play it back later, it, it just does something to you. It just gives you like, it's like you're tapping into something you kind of feel like you shouldn't be doing. Okay. You know? So I had this weird feeling. I kept playing it back over and over. I'm like, I cannot believe how clear this voice is. And then I went to bed that night. And I woke up in the middle of the night with the feeling that I was not alone in the room. Okay? So I woke up, and I felt like something was right next to me, but I couldn't see it. And I couldn't move any muscle in my body. I literally was stuck there. I'm like, okay, Chris, wake up. Okay, something's going on. You need to, you need to get oh up, get up. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And I, my eyes were open, and I can still feel it, but I couldn't move a muscle in my body. And I just felt really freaked out. Did you try to scream? Tried to scream. I, 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 try, I tried crawling off the bed. Just nothing would happen. It lasted for just a couple minutes, and then I finally did wake up. But it and, feels like forever, doesn't and it? And it's all fresh in your memory. It's like you were awake the whole time, yeah. so you remember every second of this ordeal. So does this mean that I'm possibly sensitive, as as they described? You know, like Father Magno said, you know, he called so-and-so who was a sensitive. I, I don't know that. Uh I don't know. Usually, the sensitives I've dealt with in my life—they know um, they're sensitives. They they get uh, like regularly occurring instances happening in the house. Sure. Okay, they'll they'll constantly. Are you constantly feeling like locations you go that you like something something is with you, or if you go to like say a cemetery, you know, just to look at your family. Well, I avoid headstone. cemeteries to be honest with you. Even if you're like I've, no don't family go. Grapes. Don't go. Okay, sensitive. I hate going. To, I don't even go to like. I try not to go to funerals. Mo most sensitive will, will, will feel something going on all the time, which is different than like a medium who can actually contact and psychics who tap can, into it. They can tap into it. Yeah. Sensitive, basically feel it. Yeah, you know. So, you, are you getting regular feelings? Well, I mean, the more and more I think about it, it's like, man, maybe. Well, can, can you? Can you trick yourself? And I think that's that, that that's where I kind of get lost with it. And because you've I never had anything happen, right? But I also try to look at it from an ob objective perspective right. of, of things, right? Um, where uh, you know is is that feeling I felt when I was putting my hand in in the the hole where Christ's cross was? Is that feeling because of just I was overwhelmed with the situation? I'm in Israel, I'm surrounded by people who are crying and praying it did i just get overcome with that emotion just you know i, I do believe emotion can be uh you know uh, 
create more emotions throughout that. What do they call that? The, 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 the herd complex. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, the, yeah. But like, for instance, with like sleep paralysis and dozens and dozens of times, like it hasn't just happened once or twice. Sure. Right? It's not something I look for. It's not something I think about. Right. I'm not scared. As a matter of fact, I love the lights off. I can't go to bed unless all the lights are off. I love pitch black. I'm not scared of the dark. Like, I'm not scared of ghosts. I'm not scared of anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for that shit. You know what I mean? It just happens. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I guess you have to tap more in. It's weird, though, because when I was a kid, I was frightened. I, like, I'll never forget watching Child's Play. Like, I was like. <laughs> that was Chucky. I was like six. And my parents let me watch it. It effed me up my whole childhood, right? I couldn't sleep alone. And then something happened. I don't know what. Not scared of anything. I don't know. So, so let's get back. <laughs> what what did that voice say to you? Oh, at the cemetery. At the cemetery, the first class. What'd you call it? Class A. Class A EVP. Yeah. What's the difference in classes, first and foremost? There's basically ghost uh, hunters or paranormal investigators recognize four classes of what we call electronic voice phenomena. You have a class A, B, C. And the newest class they've added in recent years is called a Class R. So Class A, B, or C. A Class A is just as I'm talking to you right now. Okay. There's a bell. You can understand what I'm saying. So you would understand whether it's a male or female voice, what they're saying. Um, class B, EVP, is a little more um, harder to understand. You can still distinct male or female, but sometimes some of the words can be distorted. distorted. Class C is basically what we get a lot of um what's called the spirit box you get a lot static, of static yeah static, okay. you get static you get whispers stuff like that then with the newest class is class r which stands for re reverse so basically what we found is we've gone back in some of our older recordings uh and we played it in reverse with the software on the computer and we're getting kind of like um the ozzy osbourne get out of here yes we're getting uh actually answers to our questions in clear male or female voices in reverse with the software on the computer. I've never heard of that. That's yep. amazing. Class R. It's the newest EVP okay. class. So, so you had a class A. Mm -hmm. It is your first one. You've had multiple, but your first one, what did what was the voice? Was it male, female? What did it say? It was a female and it was just simply two words. Help me. Wow. And there was nothing but pure you almost felt the sadness in her like she is stuck on the other side asking for help and no i played fear? it i played no no because you heard it too it yes wasn't just i heard it and i feel like she might have followed me home that night and maybe that's why i got the sleep paralysis i don't know that's another thing we do as investigators is we try you know with our religious backgrounds no matter what it is methodist Lutheran, catholic we say protection prayers before and after I was going to ask you that. Absolutely. We have a cleansing prayer, but we do protection prayers because things will follow you home. Father Maginot uh, said that. Maybe that's why I have problems because I was never raised religious. I mean, I say my own prayers, you know, and like to myself at night, but I'm not, I just I wasn't raised that way. Right. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. It's got, it's got to be in your background. But I tell people even like to come on the ghost hunts with the overnight um, ex excursions with us. doesn't matter if you're atheist or not. If you just uh, want to listen to the prayer, just even listening to the prayer that we're saying in the, in the room 
can help you. And just agree to it. Just it. Yeah. agree to it. That's all. <laughs> That's Doesn't it. say that you have to believe in God, you know, but we're saying this for you as well, you know. All right. So that was your first experience. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, class A, good evidence. Class A, good evidence. And I, I would say that um, people ask me all the time, you know, Chris, what's the most common thing evidence-wise you guys get ghost hunting these days? And I tell everybody, it's EVP. It's like they're talking to us all the time. We've got the high-end auto recorders nowadays, and we're finding all kind of responses. So most consistently, so it's is, EVP. What is a range, though? You said it's a that one was helping me, but are, are, what are most of these spirits saying? Or does oh, they cuss at us when they're they really? angry ones. Oh, yeah. So are, and these yeah. are souls Get stuck in purgatory? What's that? These are souls stuck in purgatory? Well, you know, there's different beliefs on that, you know, but formally we believe, you know, like me as a Catholic, I believe that if you are in purgatory, I, you're heading in a direction towards heaven. You will get to heaven. Purgatory is temporary. And I don't believe that souls of purgatory can contact through you know, our, our side, our realm right now. So Father Maginot said demons are fallen angels yes. cast to earth. But... And it started at creation. Now, we live in a gigantic world. Hundreds of millions of people. How many demons could there possibly be? You know, I start to think about the numbers. If we're experiencing demons in every small town in America, every small town in every country. Just, just trying to wrap my head around it. You know what I mean? Was there only... I mean, how many... And I and I am completely ignorant when it comes to angels, archangels, all you know, sure, all these different levels. Uh, it it's almost like an army. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, you you really you've got your archangels, you you've got your top tier angels. Uh, you know, uh, Saint Michael's, uh, who is a patron uh, patron saint of police officers, yes. was the protector. He's the one that said, "Fuck you, devil. Let, let's go." Uh, <laughs> I meant for, for the lack of a better term, excuse my language, but. Uh, <laughs> But he, Say, he was the one that's one of the main right. prayers we say at the beginning of these investigations. We, uh, Saint Michael, you know, Saint Michael, defend us in battle. You know, and there's a, a whole Saint Michael prayer. We, we read it off of a, a scripture card, and it's also blessed by a priest too. So you know, um, but we as Catholics, you know, we believe in blessings by a Catholic priest. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they have more power than say an object that's not blessed. But yeah, that's one of the prayers we do read read is St. Michael's. So, so with, with that, maybe you can an answer Aaron's question. Uh, you've done more research on this than obviously we have. Is there a finite amount of demons that manifest? You know, because I know there's a the book or some yes. demonic book that's got yes. all their names written out. Well, yes. Who the hell found out all these names first and foremost? You know what? That's a very good question, Mike. And um, I'll be real honest with you demonology is a complete separate field there are paranormal investigators that kind of cover both but usually they're so the cases are so rare that when a normal paranormal investigator does um encounter a case they believe might have a demon attached we do get a priest involved you know we, okay. we, we kind of hand the baton off you know because you have to be completely you know in a state of grace yourself to even go up against a demon you don't you don't want it to attach to yourself 
you don't want you know attached to your family members you know so you know priests of certain you know any congregation really uh but there's some priests of course there's we know exorcists that specialize in that and speaking of that uh that's one of the things i um was so amazed about with uh listening to father maginot's um interview with you guys last night was that he actually acknowledged that there was not only demons but there were human spirits on this realm as well which for years as catholics we were always led to believe that if you're hearing a voice if you're ghost hunting that is the occult that is voodoo that is witchcraft and that are demons disguising themselves as human spirits just to lure you in Hmm. so Father Maginot is part of the new movement within the Catholic Church, finally saying, well, hey, you know what? Yeah, there's demon cases, and they're very rare, but we believe there are trapped human spirits here on Earth. They haven't yet made it to purgatory, you know? And speaking of exorcists, uh, we mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking was Father Vincent Lampert of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And he's the complete opposite compared to Father Maginot in that he believes that if a place is haunted, it is spirits of a demon, or a demon acting as a spirit, I should say. And uh, Father Maginot um, and some other Catholic priests are, are opposite. So I, I, I see kind of changing in, in uh, church doctrine there. Oh, there's so much to think about because I'm, I, as ignorant as I am on, on all these things, I, the first thing I think about are planes of existence. Mm-hmm. And Father Maginot acknowledged that we have our physical realm and then our invisible spiritual realm, which is like, and then I'm thinking about, you said the book of demons, right? And it's a finite right. amount, right? So in theory, that I brings me know. back to God, the angels he created, the ones that sided with Lucifer, Lucifer yeah. and that were cast out. Mm-hmm. So I, it makes me think that, and he said they can't reproduce. I mean, man, we could talk about this stuff. And research the shit out of it forever and ever and ever. Uh, and then I want to... Who, who is the exorcist in Indianapolis? Father Vincent Lampert. Now I want to track him down. And I want to hear his exorcism stories. Father Lampert is just like Father Maginot. He is very receptive to social media. Oh my goodness. And you may very well be able to get him. Oh my well, goodness. you know, I, I think it's interesting because... It's it's kind of like not not necessarily opposing perspectives, just a different perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. You can do the same thing and have a difference of opinion on sure. how to get it done. So I don't think it's it's too far off base. And I don't. I'm not trying and, to pit anybody. No, you're and you're you're I not going to pit hear. the Catholic Church against no. each other no. <laughs> um, just because they're they're you know that they're they're like minded people that that ultimately are, are doing God's work. There's just different ways to to do that and different perspectives but, that are coming. But out. just like our freedom of choice stuff. And we shine a light on, and all of a sudden, we have this movement going. Maybe we can use our platform and open up more, you know, shine a light on the ghost hunting and the exorcism sure, and the stuff that's actually happening. Right. So when when we're talking about ghost hunting, you and, and you just candidly stated that you are not a demonologist. You are not hunting demons. You see a mm-hmm. demon, you're stepping back. You're leading it to the professionals i think right. this is where i put a disclaimer on on this video yeah. that if you feel you have a demon uh, you're watching this and you really 
ghost hunter is not somebody that's going to necessarily be able to help you. They might be able to steer you in the right direction. Right. You need a demonologist. We'll make that determination and we have, you know, connections, you know, through our channels to help any family or right, person but, in need and, and that type of thing. But any ghost hunting organization that says we will get rid of this demon, right. we need to steer away from them because right. they can do more harm than good. And another thing you got to remember is any ghost hunting organization, which there's only credible ones, right? credible ones, none of them will ever charge you a dime for anything. It is 100% free. We are there to not only advance the field and the research into it, but we are there to help the person as well. You know, that's sure. our number that's one great. thing. You that's know? great information. But so we, we basically, we have like a step-by-step -step process that we go through, um, you know, from taking the initial report to um, going to interview the person and then, you know, conducting an investigation. So uh, say we go to a private residence and um, I, I'll, you, I'll give you an example. Uh, we never mention any names. Everything with us. And our, our group is always private and, you know, we never... Anonymity to it. 100%. So um, what's going on nowadays is that the paranormal reality shows are just out there, like on almost every channel, especially this time of year. Teenagers are really getting excited, you know, when they start learning about the paranormal. And I was the same way, but they're going about it all wrong. They're starting... To ghost hunt and they're attracting things to their bringing home with them um for example you know uh we had a case where uh, a couple uh, teenage girls were actively doing evp like they learned on one of the tv shows with an R recorder they bought off of amazon they were doing it day and night just really concentrating on it and they start getting voices oh you my know gosh. yes so they attracted something but it was at their house. Now, that's one thing that paranormal investigators will tell you. It's different. If I come to your house and I do a EVP session, I am not the owner of that property. Father Maginot mentioned that last night. It's like the, the domain, the person who lives and resides in that domain can only is the one that can open the door. When I come to your place, I can only see what's already there. Understood. You know, I, and I can tell you how to get rid of it. So these two girls, they got a haunted house and they started getting bothered at night. Family pet was constantly uh, crying uh, whenever it had to go up to this one upstairs bedroom. They called us in, we investigated. We, uh, and basically, here's how we, our step process I mentioned earlier. If you have a spirit in your location, the first thing you can do is tell them, get out of my house. Firmly, you go to every room in the house you're not welcome here any longer leave right i'm gonna pause you right there you brought equipment yes what did you bring uh a multitude of things okay uh, some just a few of the common things we when use. we're done you might have to uh <laughs> sweep oh oh <laughs> We, Randy's, we can do that as well, too. Randy's a little uh, paranoid. Or, uh, <laughs> something that's been going on after uh, the good father left. <laughs> um, so so let but, me get back to the yeah, story. Please. So, um, uh, we, They follow our instructions with their parents to the T. And within a few days, they weren't having any more problems whatsoever. So the know? girls were the ones that had to say, get out, though. Yes. 
because ultimately that house might not have been haunted, but because they opened that realm within the house, mm -hmm. that's the invite in. Yes. So they're on their EVPs and they're saying, hey, if anyone's here, we welcome anybody. And, you know, they're saying things they shouldn't be saying. Exactly. Ultimately, which it, luckily, and at that point, once you open that spiritual dimension, you don't know what you're going to get, right. unfortunately. It's like putting your hand in, in. Same thing as using a Ouija board, Mike. You know, you're just opening a portal of something that you don't know what you're getting into. Have you done that? Oh, yeah. I did it back in the day. Is it real? Oh, yes, yes. i tell you what. When you're sitting around the room with three other people and you have candles lit and every candle goes out at once at a blink of an eye and you feel a breeze come through you, it was the freakiest thing I've ever experienced. Because... You know, face it, when we're younger, we're all attracted to, you know, experimenting with these things. How many people did you have? There was there was four of us total. See, I just, I get lost on the Ouija board because... Oh, and the fire in the fireplace snuffed out at the same time the candles did. It's a big breeze came through. <laughs> Can you pick a spot do the Ouija board somewhere? No, I'm not, not doing a Ouija board. We're not doing I'm it not doing. I'm not doing a Parker Brothers Ouija board. I'm not doing a regular Ouija board. There's like differences. I don't know. Are there differences <laughs> in Ouija boards or anything can open up the, the spirit? See, they, Randy wants to provoke. I, I'm I like, don't want to hey, provoke. I want to exist okay. The, the Ouija board is basically the right telephone to use, but it comes down to the people and how they're doing it and when they're doing it. Gotcha. Real quick, I don't want to look it up. Do we know how the Ouija board was invented or came about? It, it, it uh, you know, spirit contact has been going on for, you know, centuries. Um, I don't know where the exact board design came from. I'd have to look that up myself, but that is a good question. But hold on. Let me get back to this case, though. So on the other end of the spectrum, we had another private residence that we investigated, and she had two little children. They were getting bothered by a spirit in their bedroom at night. And uh, it was the spirit of an old lady that kept appearing. The four-year-old little boy kept saying, this old lady keeps appearing at the foot of her bed. But it was like nothing really negative, you know? Or, um, right. It was a malicious and intense, yes. right? Yes. But when they start having other friends over the house to play, and they would describe the same old lady, wow. same color dress, everything, that's when the parents got concerned. They called us. We came in. We did a three-day investigation there. We got uh, the plea history of the place. We found out there was an uh, old lady who lived by herself who had passed away in her late 80s. She died uh, from a heart attack in the living room of this place uh, like 12 years before they moved in. So we found that actually um, in the uh, database as well as uh, the newspaper article. Uh, so during that three-day investigation, uh, we were just strictly in the um, evidence gathering phase. We would leave during the day. We'd be up all, all night and then go home during the day to sleep. Um, they came home and they left one afternoon, the owners with their children, to go shopping. They left two windows open. When they were out, it starts storming real bad. They returned home. Both windows that left open were closed. They said, the old lady must have closed them because they adamant 100% they left them open. So at that point, they stopped our investigating. They're like, you know what? We feel that she's a beneficial spirit. We don't want her to leave. She, as long as she don't bother the kids no more, 
she can stay as long as she wants because we feel like she's looking out for us and the house. Sure. So, you know, two opposite ends of the spectrum of what can happen with an investigation of a haunted place. Good good ghosts and bad ghosts, right? So, yeah. I mean, just, in simplistic terms. I wasn't ignoring you or being rude. I actually, no. You reminded me. I sent a text message to my sister because my nephew is 18, 19 right now. When he was about, oh gosh, eight, they lived just a few miles north of here. I don't know if this area used to be Indian land, Native American land. Uh, I don't know if there's burial grounds around here. Oh, all around Northwest Indiana. So, sure. So they had a ranch like this. The room he was playing in, in the basement, and she hears him talking. She's talking, 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 talking. She walks downstairs, and she's thinking, oh, he's just being a child. You know, he's talking to himself, but he's having a conversation, asking questions. She finally comes in and says, Nolan, who are you talking to? He goes, oh, I'm talking to Suiacho, Mom. Like the name. She had the name down pat, exactly. So I just texted her, what was that name again? She knew right away. She remembered, because like she can't forget that, right? Suiacho. What did what, what, you find? Did you look it up? Like I did name? not. I didn't look it up. I, I should look it up now, though. Yeah, so it, why do ghosts seem to be drawn to children more than adults? That's a very good question. And there's several different theories about that the thing is um we believe that more people when they are children are actually um more open more sensitive more sensitive but there we, we we believe that a lot of people have had more spiritual encounters when they were children that they either tuned out or they didn't know were even happening at the time some of the more um Powerful cases, of course, where, you know, they do remember, you know, being visited a lot or, you know, being touched on their, you know, like we had this one case where uh, this little girl kept having her covers pulled down on the bed every night, you know. Mm-hmm. And we had another case where this other little boy was actually being covered, you know. So I just wondered, you know, it seems like one is bothering, one is uh, beneficial. When they grow up, are they going to remember this? You know, are they, you know? Well, you know, I think it even goes to when you see an infant, right? And that infant or, you know, not able to talk yet has that gaze. And you can tell they're looking at something, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that happens with babies all the time. You and pets. They're, and, and I was going to say dogs. Right. Jeez, my they're, German Shepherd is notorious for looking at something. And you're looking, well, what are you looking at? Get over here. But as adults, we try to rationalize because we're, we're now... We're, this is what we see. What we see is what we believe at, at this point. But dogs, children are so innocent; they don't, they can't di- differentiate between yeah. the two, right? Yeah. So, so maybe th- th- there is that that other realm that they're tapping. Yeah, into. it's just I don't know if it's the openness or just the because, innocence of you know, it, right? The innocence of it, and just like poltergeist activities always happen with within you know, like basically teenagers. Okay, explain poltergeist activities. Well, we believe. Most investigators will tell you that poltergeist activities are centered around one person of the household and that it's not actually a spirit per se. Uh, it's actually when you're like when a teenager is going through puberty and there's hormonal levels and uh, there's parapsychologists, will, you know, they'll tell you this. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of energy coming in and out of the house, you know, and especially around, centered around that children. They're feeling, you know, they're, they're turning into adults, you know. So it seems like it's always centered around um, an emotional state 
that a teenager might be going through because they start and stop as quick as they start. I mean, they're, they're quick. Very rare cases we've ever heard of that they go on for months or okay, years so, like a haunting. So for people that are listening that don't know what a poltergeist activity is, what exactly is it? Because like for me, I don't even know. Poltergeist basically means noisy spirit. The word geist is ghost and polter is noisy in, in German. German. And that's where the term originated from. And there's been some famous uh, poltergeist cases over the years. Uh, uh, for example, there was the Doris Byther case uh, in the, I think it was around 1973 in Los Angeles. You guys, you guys remember an 80s movie called The Entity? I do. Yes. That was based I upon like a real case. Into that Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> that was based upon a real case. There was a, a young lady by the name of Doris Byther. She lived in Los Angeles, and she started experiencing this phenomena. Now, at the time at UCLA in Los Angeles, they had an active paranormal program at the college. In the 70s. In the 70s. UCLA. Okay. UCLA. It was led by Sheila Moss, and her two subjects at the time who were studying under her was none other, none other than... Um, famed parapsychologist, uh, Dr. Barry Taff, and also Dr. Kerry Gaynor. Uh, if you guys watch any type of major ghost documentaries in the 80s or 90s, these guys were always the professionals. Before we had the paranormal reality Make, shows, these guys are the ones you saw doing interviews. Makes you wonder if that's where like Harold Ramis got the idea and Ivan Reitman for Ghostbusters. Oh, um, yeah, it was definitely influenced. I've, I've heard Dan Aykroyd, uh, who helped wrote that script with him, Mentioned that in interviews as well. In fact, if you remember the 1982 movie Poltergeist, okay, yeah. you know, uh, where she goes in the TV, she goes in the TV, little um, Heather. Um, she died though, didn't she? Did she die? I can't remember her name. Remember she her did name. die. She yeah. died in 1989 of kidney failure, as a matter of fact. But if you notice when they start having experiences, what, what happens? A college team comes in with all kind of fancy equipment, sets up. This exactly happened in the mid-1970s on the Doris Byther case. Wow. So uh, Dr. Uh, Barry Taff and Kerry Gaynor came in with a whole bunch of other people, and there was up to 20 witnesses. They had reporters there, uh, photographers, and they recorded actual orbs appearing around this lady within her, they, they just, all in her basement, and um, there's Famous photographs that they got and video as well of emanating orbs just coming out of thin air, coming out of walls, flying around the room. Uh, it, it was a light show, basically, of paranormal activity, and it all centered around this woman. So in 1978, there was an author, I can't remember his name. He wrote a book about the case. Hollywood got a, a hold of it, and, of course, they made the movie The Entity, which came out then a few years after that. Um, the entity. The entity. Okay, right. Yes. Just so I can watch it. So, when you're talking about orbs, right? I I think I fundamentally have an issue with the orb phenomenon. I do too. And I, I just I always feel like every time you take a picture, there's a potential to get an orb in it, whether it be a reflection of light or whatnot. How do you separate a spirit orb versus a light reflective or a dust particle? Well, I'll be honest, when digital cameras first came out, like in the early 2000s, you know, we were getting really excited when we found out 
within a short time, just like you said, it's dust, right. it's raindrops. You know, the, the aperture of, of a digital camera, the stuff shows up really prevalent. What we look for is, we look for uh, or emanating its own light source, multiple colors, and entrails. That's how we can differentiate between what's a real orb versus dust particles. Okay, real quick. What is an, we know what an orb is, but what is an orb? There are several different theories. Uh, it's a manifestation of a haunted location, or it could be um, contact of uh, someone you know uh, trying to appear. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes too. Maybe coming, but the from most like common a... is round. You know, but right. there's elongated ones. Uh, there's uh, kind of um, cloud-like ones that you know, kind of like a mist appears. You know, that'd be considered you know spiritual orb activity as well. Um, but uh, what we before digital cameras, we used to uh, use infrared film in cameras. And if we got an orb on infrared with no light source besides the infrared light, that's how we knew we had an orb. Have you ever used uh, like new technology like FLIR, like FLIR? Yes, we have a FLIR thermal camera. Okay, I have one too. Well, not here, but yes, I use yes. one for work. Yeah. Uh, and of course, a lot of people get that confused with um, warm and cold spots. We don't believe that spirits can conduct any type of energy as far as manifesting as a warm spot it should be a cold spot within a warm area the opposite spectrum yeah. you know so so it's funny you say that because uh when, when father uh, uh maginal thank you maginal was was here i think randy and i while he was talking we both experienced at the same time like overwhelming heat heat really it got so, so hot, hot right here and it's, we're, we're never hot my, this area is usually like 15 degrees cooler than and upstairs, but uh, you know, and we didn't talk about this till after the show was over, and the father had already left. I said, you know, I, I was getting so hot, I was roasting. I almost had to take a time out because I was starting to sweat so bad. Um, I thought it was Randy all my said, head. That he is said, interesting. Yeah, and he said, I, I would expect the exact opposite because, as ghost hunters, we always look for cold spots. We look for temperature drops. Because now, speaking of energy, because you know, energy can neither be created nor destroyed; it can only transfer. We believe that spirits need energy to manifest, you know, but they don't conduct it, you know, as far as getting hot. But to do uh, communication with, you know, humans or to make something happen, we believe, you know, so we're looking for cold spots. So, so the cold spot is the result of the spirit using energy yes, from that That's area. why we get our equipment drained all the time. I was going to say that, that would make... Makes sense why the battery draws happen. See, I didn't understand what you were saying yes or the other day when we recorded. It actually people actually have battery drain. Yeah. Wow. But I, you know, just just a layman, you know, you think, oh well, you know, if if he's talk, a priest is talking about demons. Demons are known from hell. They're hot. Of course, we don't. No, it, that. it seriously got really well, hot. And, right and I'm not even <laughs> saying that that was that was. It yeah. just, it I'm was, kidding. That, yeah. that goes to being, you know, what interests me is that I just get in my own mind. Yeah, but then after I'm talking to Rand, he's experiencing the exact same thing. We don't I thought it was exactly just me. At the same time, but it, it just struck me as odd. It wasn't a oh I'm scared to death moment. It's like a well, that isn't that curious. Yes, right. Yes, um, and that's why I have a fan going today because I don't even want to think about it. Well, you guys yeah. said you both 
watch Zach Bagan's Demon House documentary. I did. Yes. And weren't impressed with it. I Not did hear all. you say that. Not at all. And then Father Maginot, of course, did um, confirm that, you know, the, the, the three police officers they had there when they did the uh, initial house visits with him were all having their equipment drained. Then they just put fresh batteries in. And Father Maginot said he witnessed that firsthand himself. He said he saw them put brand new batteries out package in there. And within minutes, they were just went to zero. They were drained. The phones were drained. You know, right. something was definitely going on there. Well, I don't, it's not that I don't believe that that house was haunted and, and things happen, especially mm-hmm. with the kid walking up the wall in the hospital. I'm not saying I don't believe that stuff. Mm-hmm. What bothered me was I felt like by the time the crew got there, what had happened had happened and they were trying to build upon that mm-hmm. and they weren't getting the results that they wanted. And so it was, it became sensationalized. Sensationalizing it. And, and then I feel like, you know, like the cameraman started going to an act i felt like it was like the hotel i felt like was scripted i felt like things started to be scripted well well you know what let's let's examine that story just a few little key details sure the toya ammons situation actually happened between november 2011 and uh 2012 okay the indianapolis star or indy star didn't even report on the story until 2014 it went global, went viral. Everyone was hooked on this thing because you had so many qualified people who were claiming to have experienced things during that 2011, 2012. Zach Bagans heard the story way out in Vegas where he's at. He, he bought the house within a couple of days and he said that'd be a great location to have. So he... They, she'd already moved to Indianapolis by the end of 2012. So he came in almost two years after the fact, brought everyone back. He got Lieutenant Charles Austin from Gary Police Department back. He got the Lake County. Uh, they said he brought him back. Brian uh, Hammond Police, uh, Brian Miller. They did bring him were, back, but this is two years. But the after question the is, so gone. he was gone. Was this police officer still on the force? Was he still? In 2014, yeah, during the Demon House filming, yes, he yeah. was. So he, I felt he like retired in 2016. I, I feel like, and he actually passed away just last year. Oh man, it's horrible. COVID, yeah. COVID, yes. Wow. But what I was what I was thinking when when he was talking in the documentary, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, it felt very scripted at the time. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I just felt like it just didn't feel real to me. Oh. It, it, it went from documentary for me to production in some points yeah. uh, during, especially specifically the hotel. I I agree with you guys. The hotel. You mentioned uh, you you didn't like how it went on focus. The focus went on the videographer at the end of it. It kind of stayed upon him. It's like you know I, I didn't buy that though, either. When, when we're when we're done at the end of this, I'll tell you where I think he missed out and had a home run and missed it. All right, so, so around this area, Northwest Indiana, what would you say is probably one of the, the highest paranormal experiences that, that you ever come across? The place that we get the most steady evidence, I would say, on a consistent basis would have to be the old jail in Crown Point. Okay, that's downtown Crown Point. Yeah, right right down from Diamond Gyms, you know, where they got the Great Escape and the old Criminal Court building okay, next so door. Only because we're like... 
across the pond now <laughs> worldwide. So for people that are listening from different countries, we, we live in outside of Chicago in a, in a very, uh, rural. Yeah. Rural, but it, it has a lot of history, a lot of history. This, uh, <laughs> Crown Point, Indiana was a, uh, a getaway for the gangsters of Chicago, Cedar Lake, Indiana. And it just so happened that someone like John Dillinger was housed in this jail, which you can see in like public enemies and, and, and hear the story about how he broke out, all that kind of stuff. This is the jail that the old jail Chris is talking about in 1975. It was still being used as Lake County's locked up, only locked up until 1975. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. They built the current location of the, uh, Lake County Jail uh, on 93rd Avenue, and they moved all the inmates there between 74 and 75. But like I said, it was still being used. It was where the Lake County Police Department was. If you notice, and there's 92 counties in Indiana. All county seats, just about every county in Indiana, have a similar jail design as Lake County. It's an old-style, um, like Romanesque, um, brick-style home with a jail attached to the back. Right. And that was because up until 1958, Indiana law stated that the sheriff of all 92 counties had to live adjacent to the jail of his lockup. Wow. So that sheriff's house design that you see, which is so common, is why you see that, because usually the sheriff would live with his family upstairs. There would be the sheriff's department downstairs, and there would be the old jail, or the entire jail, Attached to the back of it. And in Dillinger's time, it was Sheriff Holly, right? Yeah. The female? Yeah. Lillian Holly yeah. was the sheriff. But in 1958, the law changed and stated that the sheriffs no longer had to live adjacent to the jail. They could live wherever they want. And Lake County Sheriff Jack West was the last sheriff of Lake County that actually had to live with his family in the old jail. So after 1958 to 75, basically, the old jail became um, the Lake County Sheriff's Department and Lake County Lockup in the back. And so you, you said you've experienced some of the, the most of your paranormal experience comes from that jail. It's it just so amazing. That's why I, so I, I want you guys to go in there ghost hunting with us sometime. Um, it's so amazing because um, it's basically three floors of old cells. And there is one particular cell that's famous is where the, the famous Chicagoland gangster John Dillinger stayed in this particular cell on the first floor, and he escaped from Lake County Jail uh, March 3rd, 1934. And we had a Lake County's first, and still to this day, only female sheriff. Her name was Lillian Holly. The reason why we had a female sheriff in 1934 was because her husband, Roy Holly, was actually had just started his second term as sheriff. 17 days into his second term, he was shot and killed at a farm in Merrillville, or at that time, Ross Township. And by law, the wife uh, or spouse of the sheriff would it's crazy. take over the term, which she did. Wow. Doesn't matter about experience. It's Doesn't like matter some about experience. monarch shit. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Um, so uh, she was the sheriff at the time when Dillinger escaped. You mentioned the movie Public Enemies. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was there for the filming of that. Me too. That was exciting. Three days in March of 2008. Cold. We set. stood out there behind those barricades. Me and my wife had uh, lawn chairs. Waiting right for next Johnny to Depp to come out. We, we all, and you know what's crazy? I'll tell you a quick story. I got a man crush. I admit, it was one man crush. The old lady said, I'm allowed to have. 
It is Johnny Depp. I've been a fan for many years. Final night of Go filming. On. Final night of filming. We saw him, right? But final night of filming, we waited and waited and waited. We got so we went uh, by where Carriage Court Pizza is. Okay. Right? And they were in Expeditions. I'll never forget. Black yeah. Expeditions. His they driver. Pull, they pull out and he stopped right in front of us. I had my favorite Johnny Depp movie, Blow, in my hand. I go to, he, he's like, give it to me. He's, he's hanging out of the window. And I go to hand it to him. And we're like this. He's, it's almost in his hand. And this cougar jumps over my back and reaches for him. And the driver was watching. And as soon as she went over my shoulder, he nailed the gas. And Johnny Depp went, bam, and hit the, the door. And it, and he's just like, bye. Oh, my God. Are you serious? That close. That close. He's going to sign it. Oh, I can't believe it. But I'm 5'9". He's smaller than me. Yeah. he. I couldn't believe how skinny at that time his yeah. waist was. He was like a little guy. And little dude. you think Captain Jack Sparrow is... No. You know, probably, you know, 5'11", you know. Yeah, he, he his size. And I'll tell you what. I was there. I, I stayed all the way until they wrapped filming on the second night. He came out at 11 p.m. And we were right across the street from the jail. The front of the jail. The old jail, that is. He came out and shook everyone's hand. He had his bodyguard and like uh, Crown Point police escorting him. I had it on camera. I had a camera in one hand, video camera. I said, how you doing, Mr. Depp? So I held my front spot against that barricade all day. He goes, I'm good, man. And I got it on film, me shaking oh, his no, hand. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Just awesome. But in the movie, Public Enemies, okay, came out in 2009, director Michael Mann. Yep. Got to own the Blu-ray. I think every Lake County resident should own the Blu-ray of Public Enemies. That movie stacked, by the way. Yes. Channing Tatum, Johnny Depp. Yes, Lily Taylor. She played... Uh, Holly, Lillian Holly, yeah, Sheriff Lillian Holly, uh, Marion Cartier. I don't know if yes. I can't spell her name. French actress. Uh, wait, there's some other fam- a lot of famous people. Who else? Uh, oh gosh. Anyways, the the reason I movie. love this movie so much is because not only do they have several minutes of the film dedicated, which was all filmed at the old jail. They were so specific how they wanted everything to look. They came in. And um, three months before filming, Universal Studios, uh, who made the movie, cut a deal with the Jail Foundation. And they basically said, you know what? We will rehab part of the jail on us. The facade of it. Yes. Yep. Oh, no, the inside. Okay. The inside. So basically, that's the only thing that's off historically. The actual cell that he... The real dungeon escape from is different from the the floor that they chose, which was wider for the said film crew uh, that they chose to use as him staying in in the movie. Okay, but the route that he took as far as going out, where he grabbed went to the booking area and grabbed the two Tommy guns and ducked out through the kitchen, and the real dungeon went out the um, south side of the jail. That's the exact route they had Johnny Depp take. But the cell that Johnny Depp stayed in was not the real cell that the real Dillinger stayed in, though. So if you go to Lake County, the old Lake County Jail to this day, you'll see the second floor of the jail is the only floor of the jail that is not rusted. All the jail cells look like they did in 1934. Universal Studios came in there. They sandblasted all the years of old 
paint and rust and everything. everything and rehab the entire floor just for filming. And the foundation knew that they would for years be able to use that as part of the museum because well, they got universal to pay for What's crazy is, I know we're like totally off topic, but in the movie, in his in the court hearing, it's daylight. They filmed it at night. And when I remember sitting and watching uh, in the sunlight, every the single sunlight. window, they had these huge lights. Yes. And it's fake sunlight, man. It, it's just freaking. And they, they filmed it at like midnight. Well, and see, the old jail has no climate control whatsoever. Only the sheriff's house up front does, right? The key giveaway is the scene where Johnny Depp meets with his lawyer inside Lake County Jail. You see the lit sunlight. Or appears to be sunlight, but we know it was yeah. Hollywood lights making it appear like sunlight coming in as backlighting. You see his breath as he's sitting in the jail on the other side of the bars talking to his oh, client. Dude, it was so cold. It was so cold because so it was the same temperature in the jail as it was outside. It's probably 10 degrees colder. Johnny Depp did some yeah. real acting because he actually had to act like he was warm in there. It, it was not warm that yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what have you heard in the jail? Multiple things. Uh, first of all, um, females within the investigators or people that we take in there as part of the tours constantly are getting touched in there. They're getting their their hair stroked. They're getting their leg back of their calves rubbed. Um, some uh, two women last week have said they felt something blow in their ear, like like you know wow. something was blowing in their ear. So it seems like. Since this was a predominantly male jail, of course, they did have a female section there, but it was very small. Of course, you know, mostly males in there for many decades. Right. You would, it makes sense that female visitors to this day get seem to get groped. a lot of reaction. Yeah, they get groped. Interesting. <laughs> exactly. Groped. Exactly. But we're talking um, everything from shadow shadow people jumping in and out of cells, class A EVPs. Uh, we get active orbs. Um, we actually, there's actually a spirit cat in there, uh, and Sandy Boyd, who you see on a lot of the TV shows, um, who's, uh, uh, the president of the foundation and, um, does a great job of keeping this jail on the minds of so many people. Uh, she constantly is telling stories about this ghost cat that they see in there. So even animals, we also have spirits of former jail guards that seem to still walk the walkways in there. Um, my father, for example, he was a Lake County police officer in 1973. He got hired. And his first two years, they were still at the old jail location. This is before the whole government center Damn, was built. And my great uncle was a sheriff's deputy at the same exact time. Well, see, correction officers weren't actually created until 1985, where they are basically deputized, sheriff, uh, like deputy sheriffs of the. They, they're not merit police officers. And you know the difference between them law enforcement yourself. But back then, they all the jail guards of Lake County actually had to do a term of jail duty before they got on the streets to do patrol. Right. Okay? So he said that uh, my dad was the biggest skeptic there was, and he told me a story that when he was pulling his jail duty and there was a rookie officer, Lake County officer, that uh, once lockdown happened and they uh, shut the lights off at 11 p.m. every night, they would make occasional rounds. You go up there, what's called, you know what this is, catwalks. Yep. Okay. And the officers can look in on each of the bunkhouses in the different sections and see if there's a, you know, anything bad going on. It shouldn't be whatnot. Well, they had these old time brass keys. Okay. 
And when they would come walking up there, clang them against the bars, clang them against the bars. And that's how you, the other inmates knew that the officer was coming and they would probably clean up their act right away. They were doing something they shouldn't be anyway. He said on certain nights, it'd be like always at 3.06 in the morning, a.m. It's one section he would hear that distinct sound that can only be made by one of the old time brass keys they used to carry with them. Clanking on those bars up there. And him and the other officer on duty for the night were running up there with their flashlights. It was always the same section, too. It was the second floor. And they could never explain it. And they said the inmates would also hear it, too. And they said, we thought you guys were coming. Surprise inspection, right? Surprise inspection, right. yeah. And those inmates would filter out, and new inmates would come in. And the same thing would happen a couple months later with a whole different group. They're like, we thought you guys were coming. And they also heard it with themselves. And he said, to this day, he can never explain that. They think there was an, actually this old-time jail guard that uh, passed away in, or he worked there in the 40s, but he passed away in the 60s. They think that his spirit, uh, I forget his name, but um, the spirit of one of the old jail guards still making his rounds, those catwalks. That is so interesting. Let, I'm going to wrap it with this um, because we we're right, right around our hour mark. Um, why is 3 a.m.? Why does that seem to be the, the time for like heightened spirit activity? Well, the biggest belief that we have is that 666 is the number of the devil. The derivative of 6 is 3. 3 a.m. 3 has always been known, even back to occult times, as the witching hour. Okay. And especially uh, around Halloween, even between, as you know, Catholic, between All Souls Day and Halloween, what, what do all the legends say? At 3 a.m. on All Souls Day or 3 a.m. on Halloween. The dead get to rise. Yes. Right. So they they feel like at 3 a.m. is the height of the night and it's, the veil is the thinnest between the two worlds. 3 a.m. before trick-or-treating. Yes. Not after. But Hang on a second before we wrap. Shadow people. Yes. Have you seen them? Yes. Usually bad. Yep. Do, we don't have this stuff on film, though. We do. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shadow people. I mean, I've seen stuff online, but... What do you mean bad? Bad meaning that there's usually a negative haunting going on at the time when you have shadow people. Uh, and what do they look like? Happy, Actually, friendly, happy, friendly spirits, we believe, try and make contact with us, do not manifest as black shapes or forms. We believe that negative entities do and this could be also negative human spirits we believe those i say we believe um just have a darkness about themselves and they can actually appear to be demonic but they're not so that's why when we cleanse houses going back to what i said earlier about how we start with the step process of you know first we tell the homeowner and it has to be the homeowner get out and we sometimes we try smudging the next step past that is that we bring a psychic in to cleanse the house. Step past that is a priest. So we start from small to greater, and we see what works to try to get rid of the location. But all the negative locations we've had, we have usually a report of shadow people or shadow forms appearing. And it's never been at a, a friendly haunting, so to speak. Yeah, well, you know, this is, this is the time that everyone really is in, into it you know we, we know that you know october everyone wants to hear about the paranormal does, does it ever 
fade off or is yes. like so the, like that not, not, not you know I, obviously the interest is always going to be around Halloween but is that kind of when spirit presence increases or is, is spirits are here right? it doesn't matter if you're coming there year on round, Christmas 100% right? they so, are here year round I've never had an October surprise that, yeah that was like <laughs> any different than any right. other yes, yes. Right. Uh, just a, sleep paralysis or any other experiences as far as general public interest who, who don't do, you know aren't into it for uh, either a hobby or you know follow it all year round usually mm -hmm. once uh the Christmas Hallmark Christmas movies come on, you know interest has waned because right. no one's calling up to go ghost hunting. Well, the truth is, is this little journey that we're on started with an experience with Mike at work, and he's like, "Dude, we got to talk about this on the podcast." And yeah. then we just kept going from there, and it started branching off. Yeah, and I know, and now I know. Our interest is just it just so happens it's October fourth. You know, I, I, I feel like we should make like like a guideline that we some some subjects you guys like want to cover. And we'll just stick to that. You, you know, know what I'm saying? We, we tried that before. Where, it didn't work. <laughs> you know, because there's just so much to talk about that structure just doesn't work for us. So, no, and then we forget things. And then we're like, what were we talking about? Well, no, we just keep going with did it. You, did you want me to uh, break out a couple of pieces of equipment real quick before I go? Or we what? will. But yeah. We'll, we'll just go ahead so and wrap this we're up. We're going to sign off. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Pleasure being here. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. No, sir.